Okay, welcome to our second message this morning on his coming for salvation. So I am going to do the same topic as number one, but I'm going to probably do it completely different. A number of you were here earlier, and so I'm going to catch those up who were not here, but I'm going to take it a little further measure. If you want to listen to the first part of this, I'm sure it'll be posted online. For those joining online, I pray that God blesses you also and just opens your heart and mind to receive what God is doing. We have a great set of verses in Hebrews chapter 4 that describe to us the reality of Jesus in our life today, what Jesus did. See, Jesus shed blood on the cross so that we can find the life of the new covenant in the throne room. The Bible does not teach that the life is in the blood. It teaches the life of the flesh is in the blood. But for human beings, true life is in the spirit. True life yeah. is being joined to God as your father. God is my father, your father, our father. Yeah. And so the life of the flesh will never satisfy. And when we chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we were bound to the life of the flesh. We were bound to live lives based on the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil, which is an informational covenant, not a transformational covenant. And so we created a family tree, if you will, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus came to free us from that limitation, to free us from the family tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and graft us into an eternal tree, the tree of life, to know God, to know Jesus, to have the Spirit of God with us. And so he came to give us life, that life abundant. When he implemented the beginning of that, he completed the old covenant in, a, in being our Passover lamb. And he shed blood on the cross as the tree of life to give us the blood of the new covenant. When in John chapter 13 is where John describes this. Meal and Luke describes it. Matthew describes it. It's described in different ways, but in the completion of the old covenant, he implemented a new covenant, and he took a cup after they had eaten the lamb, and he said, this is the cup of the blood of the new covenant. Now, if you study the Seder meal, the Passover meal, you'll understand that the cup after supper is not the cup of blood. It's the cup before you eat the lamb that's the cup of blood. Jesus didn't say that was the cup of the blood of the new covenant. He said the cup after supper was the cup of the blood of the new covenant. And that cup is a cup of the Spirit. It's not the cup of the blood of the Lamb. It's the cup we drink because of the blood of the Lamb. You see, Jesus shed his blood because the life of the flesh was in the blood so that we could become a part of a different body. Not a body of flesh, but the body of Christ. We could come and be a part of him, him abiding in us and us abiding in him. And we could drink a different blood, if you will. The blood is what gives life to the body, what gives oxygen to the body, what gives you clear thinking, gives you immunities, battles off infections, gives nurturing and nourishment. Your human blood gives life to your human body. But the blood of the Holy Spirit gives life to the body of Christ. So I need the life of the body of Christ. I need the life of the Spirit. That will even quicken my mortal body and give healing to my physical body. So Jesus made it possible for us to have a different blood than the blood of the flesh, the blood of the Spirit. 
And so in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He was a human being like us. He knows what it's like to experience seasons of COVID-type things. He knows what it's like to be pierced and to be bruised and to be rejected. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to feel the futility of a shaking world. But we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. It's not a sin to be tempted. That's right. But when we're tempted, if we choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we transgress. And then we choose a disconnection. We choose to be independent. We choose to be smart in our own minds. We choose to be smart in our in our own ways. Instead of being dependent upon a heavenly father, we become independent based upon our own judgments of what's good and what's not. And so we choose a disconnection. And the result is sin, disconnection. We die. Jesus came to reconnect us, but he did that as a human being who was tempted to disconnect, but he never did. Amen. He lived his entire life. It wasn't just the cross that gives this to us. It was a human being who lived 33 and a half years on planet Earth as a tree of life human being. And he opened the door for a new race, a new creation of human beings who lived connected to the Father in all things. Connected to the spirit of life. But Jesus knows what it's like to live in our world. And so in verse 16 of Hebrews 4, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Grace is the manifest presence of God working in your life. Grace changes you. If there's no change, there's no grace. If there's no change, there's no grace. Debbie's very sensitive to the spirit. She's an intercessor. And when we feel those nuggets of the life of God, sometimes it can do stuff to you. So don't be distracted. It's all right. She's just very sensitive to the spirit. And she also has, has an ability to bring life into the realm that needs life. Okay. So I appreciate her and who she is. Okay. I have a very good friend, a pastor friend in, in, uh, uh, New Mexico, if he's listening, Pastor Cesar, he's a wonderful, wonderful pastor. And when he prays, sometimes the burden of the Lord comes on him. He'll begin to go through even an experience that has all the indications of deliverance. And it's because he's bearing a burden for the body of Christ. Okay? It's a type of intercession. So we receive each other in our own uniqueness. I appreciate that very much. Amen? So... We boldly come to the throne of grace, the throne of his manifest presence, and there we obtain mercy. We reach out and take hold of what's being given to us. You have to reach out and take it. We obtain mercy. Now, mercy is a judgment, and it frees you from an administration that requires a judgment. What administration requires a judgment? An administration of the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil requires judgments based upon good or judgments based upon evil. When we're good, it requires a judgment. That's good. When we're bad, when we're evil, it requires a judgment. That's evil. See, there is a right and there is a wrong. 
But Jesus didn't come to establish the right and wrong tree. He came to give us a higher law than the law of Torah. He came to give us the law of a father's love. That's it. Amen. I had a, a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience last Sunday. I was at a church in, in Wisconsin that I hadn't been able to come to for some time because of some offenses that had taken place. And I, w I went and attended. My friend is there again. And, and I had an opportunity to share. And one of the things that was going on is uh, there was uh, an individual there that was, that was wrestling with um, the fact that this individual's children were not walking in the way this individual thought they should. And the Holy Spirit had me turn to this individual and say, is God a good father? Is he good? I said, actually, I said, is God a good daddy? And this individual being a man, not a dad, he's a good daddy. And do most of his kids walk in the place they should? Or does he have many kids that don't walk the way they should? And, and, and the Holy Spirit just touched this individual. And I said, but he's a good daddy. See, we measure whether we're doing right or we're doing bad by what we think everything should be. And God's a really good dad. And most of his kids are not walking the way they should. And that doesn't make him a bad dad. No, that's right. But if we were to measure him the way we measure ourselves in the mirror, we just might measure him wrongly. And that's where people say things, well, if God is good, why do bad things happen? It's because we measure him wrongly. Anyway. <laughs> I think bad things happen because we live in a world where we have a lot of disconnects. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. And I happen to believe that I'm in, I'm in control of my world, but I need to get intimate with the one who owns my world. He's in charge. If my marriage fails, it's because I was in control of it. Yeah. And I didn't get intimate with the one who owned it. <laughs> if I got intimate with the one who owned it, I would, do, I would be a different kind of king. I'd be a different kind of lord. You see, I am a king. I am a lord. But I'm not a king like the kings of the world. I'm a king like the king of kings who didn't come to take anything. He came to humble himself and to serve us and to give everything. Yes. I am a Lord, but I'm not a Lord like the lords of the world who seek to be important by what they can obtain. I'm a Lord like the one who came for me, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, That's right. who humbled himself. He came as a tree pruner, not a tree destroyer. <laughs> so... We have to get intimate with him. So we boldly come to the throne where we can receive a judgment that frees us from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can reach out and receive mercy. Now that judgment was made once for all human beings. But you have to boldly come to him. Yes, you do. May 12, 1973. I was just in the area where I came to Christ, visited the little church that I heard the message. Drove past the little place that I pulled my 64 Chevrolet into the little cul-de-sac. And I leaked out my nose, leaked out my eyes, leaked out my heart, and confessed everything I did to God. Like God didn't know. <laughs> See, I don't think he needed me to confess. I needed to confess. That's right. I needed to be just downright honest and tell him how rotten I was. And then he was downright honest 
and told me how loving he is. And he made a judgment for me. You know what it was? Mercy. That's a judgment. Mercy. You see, mercy doesn't live in the house of grace. But it's the judgment that makes you able to come to the house of grace. And if you're in the house of grace, you can be merciful. Because you've experienced mercy that got you there in the first place. Well, that's a good statement. You see, if you're living in a house that always requires mercy, 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 you're not really living in the house of grace. Because grace is the divine empowerment of God's presence that actually changes you. You know where you see the change? In the mirror. And who do you see when you look in the mirror? You. So we need to look a little deeper to see what Christ is doing inside of you. Now, that's not independent from him. That's totally dependent upon him. Because if you're looking in the mirror vainly, in a disconnect from him, you're not even seeing the image of you. You're seeing the image of a pretender. But you boldly come to the throne of grace. You receive mercy. You're justified to live. And then, it says, and then we find grace. In the first service, I said I've been having to find things lately. My 66th year, I've lost utility knife several times in the last month. I lost something yesterday. Oh, I lost a, 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 a another tool yesterday. I put it down, couldn't find it. I, I spent a lot of time looking around for what I lost. You, know, you have to look around to find grace. Sometimes you can go a few moments in your day and you forgot it. You forgot that his presence is in your life. He didn't leave. You just forgot where you put him. You remember when Joseph and Mary and the whole family left Jesus in Jerusalem and then they went out a day's journey and realized he wasn't with them? He was 12 years old. Yeah. And then they realized he wasn't with him, so they came back and the third day they found him. In other words, they, they forgot one thing. If you lose Jesus, go back to the last place that he was. <laughs> It took them two days to go a one-day journey because they forgot where they lost him. <laughs> Sometimes we have to find grace because we somehow stepped into that tree of knowledge of good and evil thing, maybe. He didn't leave us. We just for forgot where he was in our lives. We forgot where he was in our hearts. So we boldly come to the throne of grace and we receive mercy and then we find grace to help us in our time of need. There's a few times of need. Now, I'm going to leap forward, go a little farther than I did this morning in the message, because I'm going to leap past some things and come into some things from another angle. Jesus is our salvation in every situation in this world. That's right. Now, in Hebrews chapter 9, which is just a few chapters beyond that Hebrews 4, the context of chapter 4 was being a place where God rests. And how can you be a place that God rests? Well, you boldly come to the throne. You receive mercy and you find grace. Now Hebrews 9 is a chapter that's presenting that we're the body of Christ where Christ lives on earth and in heaven. And so in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, he says, As it is appointed for men to die once, but afterwards, after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Now I'm going to read a couple of other verses about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. 
if Christ, if one died for all, then all died. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, hello, check it out. Hi, all things have become new. In that same context, it... All things have become new. I have to go back to this. Um, or if one died, then we all died. Romans 5.15 But the free gift is not like the offense, for by one man's offense many died. Much more, the grace of God and the gift of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. So, mercy allows us to be dead in Christ. It's appointed once for all to die. God's mercy allows us to find that we died in Christ. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3, 3, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So I presented to you, it's appointed for all, it's appointed once for all to die. In Christ, you died. He came the first time so that you could die in Christ. He said, if you lose your life, you save it. You lay your life down, you find it. The objective was not to lose your life or to lay it down. It was to save your life. It was to find your life. But you had to lose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil life to become the real life which you are in Christ. So that you not just go to heaven when you die, but the life that you now live, you live by faith in Christ. Why? The life that you live is not a life of life. It's a life of resurrection from the dead. John said, all who believe in him have passed from death unto life. You are living in eternal life. Jesus said in John 17 that eternal life is to know God the Father and to know Jesus the Son. Ooh, that's, good. that's not just life. That's eternal life. That's life that can't die. Why? It's resurrection from the dead life. Amen. You have life that cannot die. That's right. So therefore, even the second death has no power over you because you've already experienced a first death in Christ. This good news is available to all human beings, but if you don't experience your first death in this life, you're going to go before a throne to face a first death that could be overpowered by a second death. But if you face a first death in Christ, now the life that you live is no longer for a judgment of sin. 
Mercy is a judgment for sinners. Mercy, that's a judgment. It frees you from the condemnation that bound you there so that now you can find grace. If you were a thief, you boldly come to the throne of grace and you receive a judgment that he gives to thieves. Mercy, now you got to look around and find grace or you'll keep being a thief. So you boldly come to his manifest presence you get a judgment for thieves that the father of love gives to all of his thieving children. Mercy! Uh -huh. And now he says, look around and find the grace to be a son of God. Find the grace of having eternal life to know that God is your father. If you know that God is your father and you know Jesus the son, you'll become the real you, a son or daughter of God, and you won't steal anymore. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And it'll be... More liberating than the law, don't steal. Because it will be an inspiration, not an obligation. It won't be a threat you're going to go to jail. It will be a freedom that you just came out of jail. <laughs> and the life that you now live, you live by faith in Christ. Do you catch the difference between these two things? Living a life in the knowledge of good and evil and living in the tree of life. Jesus came so that we can boldly come to the throne of grace. Now, he comes a first time, Hebrews 9, it's appointed for men to die once. I died once in Christ. I died once in Christ. If you haven't come into Christ, it's appointed to die once. Choose today. <laughs> Boldly come to him. Lay down your life. If you're listening, listening to me online and you don't have a relationship with God as your Father, you don't know Jesus the Son, it's possible by Holy Spirit right now. Because God so loved you, he sent the only begotten son, the one who was supernaturally born of him. Born of a virgin, not just born of a woman, born of a woman who had never entered into intimacy with a man. Not born of human blood, but born of the blood of the Spirit. And he came into your world so that you could live in this world as a part of his world, now and forever. To have eternal life, life that cannot be killed. Amen. So if you've not received that first reason that he came, he came for judgment. So he was offered once to bear the sins of many. He bore your sins, come receive the judgment that he gave you there. Mercy, it can be as simple as this. Jesus, I receive it, come into my life. Jesus, I receive it, you died for me. I know I don't deserve it. But I receive it. I don't understand it, but I receive it. Amen. I receive it. If you forgot that, I'm reminding you of it today. And then he says, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now, this is the only place in Scripture where it talks about a second coming, other than the headings that you have in your Bible. And almost all those headings that are added in the Bible are some human's understanding of the second coming that have nothing to do with the second coming. Such as, it'll be like it was in the days of Noah, eight souls and all were left behind. Two men were in the field, two women, two men will be in the field, two women grinding at the mill. That has nothing to do with you getting out of this world. Noah didn't get out of this world. That's right. He wasn't saved to go to heaven. He was saved by being left behind to fill the earth with the glory of God. 
As a matter of fact, Peter says that when Jesus died, he went down and preached to those who died in the flood. And it seems that a lot of people who died in the flood went to heaven. I don't have a lot of evidence on that, but I have more evidence of that than I do of them all going to hell. Because it says Jesus preached to them. And he led captivity captive. Now, is that, what do I know about that? Well, it's none of my business. That's right. <laughs> So I'm definitely not going to make that the focus of my life. Yeah, that sounds good. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make the focus of my life. Could I be like Noah? Could I be someone who's in the field joined to an eternal Adam, not a carnal Adam? Could I be like someone grinding at the mill, which is a biblical phrase for a woman having intercourse to produce babies? It's said several times in Scripture. By the way, Scripture interprets Scripture Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, and War of the Worlds does not. <laughs> that phrase is used for the ability for Eve to produce offspring. Grinding at the mill. It isn't two taxi cab drivers. It isn't two bus drivers. It's two men and two women. Who's the first man? Adam. Who's the first woman? Eve. Who's the eternal Adam? Jesus. Who's the eternal Eve? The body of Christ. Amen. So, in essence, it kind of is about a second coming. Because his second coming, anything that has a beginning, has an ending. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, yeah? yeah? So, if you're not experiencing something of his second coming now, you're not going to know the fullness and the culmination of his second coming to come. Now, I'm preaching this today because this. When we get in these seasons... Where things are not all good, what happens is the mode that the body of Christ tends to kick into sometimes is judgment of the world and a calling out to get out of this world, the second coming. Oh, we're in the last days. This is the end times. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years, people. When the fullness of the times came, Jesus came at the end of the ages, it says. He came. Okay, my last day was May 12, 1973. That was the day I entered into eternal life to know God, my Father, Jesus, the Son. And I entered into a day that has no end. Amen. Thus, the scripture says, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, which is a hyperbolic metaphor forever. It says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That doesn't mean the thousand first hill, the cows are free. From God. It means he owns all the cows. It says he's God for a thousand generations. The very next line says God forever. A thousand generations is forever. So when Peter says, with the Lord a day is a thousand years, he's saying you don't need to be shaken when kingdoms of the world are shaken because you're part of a day that never ends. You're children of the day and not the night. He's not saying, oh, is this the thousand years? No, he's saying you are living in an eternal day. We are children of the day. Why? We boldly came to the throne of grace. We received the judgment of mercy that freed us from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now makes it possible for us to find grace. So he appears to us a second time. Now, track with me because we're going to look at this, how this looked in the life of Jesus and his disciples. So the judgment's been given to those who come to him and it's a judgment of mercy. That's what frees us. We lose our lives to find him in Christ. John 14, verse 1. 
Okay, now this is the space between the Last Supper, where Jesus tells them the cup we're going to drink now is the cup after supper, not the cup before. We're going to drink the cup of the Spirit from now on. I'm making it possible. I'm about to do something to make it possible. And then John 18, where he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he goes to the cross. So John 15, 14, 15, 16, 17 are only a matter of hours, a couple of hours. Jesus tells them all this stuff. It's important stuff to know in every space between. Can you imagine being in that room when Jesus implements the completion of the Old Covenant Passover and implements something that's never happened before for humanity on planet Earth? The only New Covenant man in the room was Jesus. A man full of grace and truth. A man full of the manifest presence of God and real. Everybody else was longing for the presence of God to be in them. They were happy that the presence of God was in the room with them. But they were longing for what it means to be a human being. So Jesus was in the room with 12 human wannabes. And he was the only human being in the space. And he's telling the human wannabes, I'm going to make it possible for you finally to be a human being. A bunch of Pharisees in the neighborhood were so caught up in doings, they were human doo-doos and weren't even concerned. <laughs> but there were some hungry people in the Passover room with Jesus. Can you imagine being in the room with Jesus? I've been in the room with Jesus many times. But can you imagine, and I've been in the room with Jesus as an old covenant man. I remember May 12, 1973, in the basement of our Savior's Lutheran Church. And Jesus came in the skin of a man named Jim. And Jim was talking about being born again. And I saw and felt Jesus in the room. And it was a convicting moment, a defining moment, his tangible presence. So much, I began to cry. So much impelled me, compelled me to pull my car off to the side of the road and beg him to come into my life. And then the next day I woke up, the angel of superglue had visited my room and glued my mouth in a smiling position. And being the popular guy that I was, it took me a couple of days to lose a couple hundred friends. Because I thought they'd all understand if I simply told them about Jesus. So I became an instant evangelist, telling the people I loved about the one who loved me. Okay? So he came into my space. So can you imagine being in that room? I'm sure it felt glorious. And then Jesus tells them what the important things are. And then they go from that to he's arrested in the garden and the crucifixion. Worse than a COVID 2020-2021 season. But Jesus is telling them, I'm, I'm making something wonderful happen here. So he just had this glorious moment in the room with them. And then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. They're probably thinking, well, my heart's not too troubled right now. I'm feeling your presence. I'm, I'm feeling really good. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, 
I like the translation that says many dwellings. I also like the word mansions because all of God's dwellings are mansions. Now I want you to understand that there's one dwelling place of God in the room. And the dwelling place of God is Jesus. He's a human being with God in him, God upon him, and God with him. He's a dwelling place of God in the earth. He's such a dwelling place of God in the earth, he can go to hell, and hell can't hold him. Amen. He's such a dwelling place of God, he can go to hell dead, and hell can't hold him. <laughs> And the dwelling place says, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. I didn't come to be the dwelling place of God for you. I came as a dwelling place of God to cause you to be dwelling places of God. Because in my Father's house there are many dwellings. There are many mansions. <laughs> If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. A what place? Not just a place in heaven for you, but a place for you to be a dwelling place of heaven in your world. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Now we have to read some more things in this chapter to understand this, because he's not just talking about, I'm going to go to heaven so that when you die, you'll go to heaven and finally get to meet me. <laughs> I already met him. No, I'm going to heaven so that I, I'm going to heaven as a man, not just a man, but a, an eternal high priest man. I'm going so that there can always be a place that you can come and receive that judgment that you need that is a judgment of death. But that judgment justifies you dead in me, now therefore justified to live in me. <laughs> to find grace. To be a dwelling place. Farther in this chapter, verse 6, he says, Jesus sent him, because he's being questioned by Thomas and and Phil, we call Thomas Thomas Doubting Thomas. We give him that label. And I think sometimes we give the millennial generation that same label, Doubting Millennials. The Doubting Thomas. I think God liked Doubting Thomas. He said to Thomas, blessed are those who believe and don't see. But I think he kind of liked Thomas because Thomas didn't want anything fake. He wanted what was real. Amen. So we label him Doubting Thomas, but I think it's maybe Demanding Thomas. Yeah, you're blessed if you don't see and you believe, but yeah, if you if you need to see something <laughs> and you're really wanting to believe, which is Thomas, yeah. he said to Thomas, look, put your hands here. Here's my hands and my side. Put your hands in the holes. <laughs> so in Jesus, in verse 6, Jesus says to him, I am the way, says to Thomas, I am the way. Thomas says, show us the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
I'm going to be preaching a message on this next week. I'm blogging on also deeper in this. But there are a lot of synonymous phrases in Scripture for this. See, Jesus didn't come so that you can emulate his life. He didn't come merely so that you could read about him and then try to act like him. He came to empower you to be as he was in your world. He's the way. It can be likened unto righteousness. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink. The kingdom of God is righteousness in the Holy Spirit. What is the way for today? You're closing out August. You're about to enter into September. Come Wednesday, it's going to be September. What is the way to get from August into September? The way is not an independent disconnection of God based on your understanding of what is right and what is wrong. The way is not a righteousness of who deserves and who doesn't deserve. That's not the way. The way is Jesus. What does Jesus say? The way is going to be determined by God in you, Christ in you. Jesus in the form of Holy Spirit in you is going to determine you discovering the way today. Because you might be in a relationship where there's lots of things wrong. And if you measure it by a righteousness of the flesh, you might end up today closing it being right and ending up right on the couch. Because there's a time where Jesus will say, be right. And there's a time where Jesus will say, shut your mouth. And be willing to be wrong. For what? For righteousness sake. For righteousness. In a marriage, righteousness is not about who's right or who's wrong. Righteousness is being one flesh. <laughs> In a community, righteousness is not who's right, who's wrong. Righteousness would be, be a community. God's up to something right now in a season where there's all kinds of things that are seemingly rising up against this. But he wants his people to boldly come to the throne of grace. Realize that you're a dwelling place of God in your father's house. There are many dwelling places. And Jesus is the way. He's the answer to righteousness today. There has to be a coming of Jesus onto salvation for righteousness in your life. Not just a first coming that says mercy. But there has to be something of his second coming. His second coming is not just a moment in the future. The Greek word on that is erkome or parousia. Those are common words for coming in the Greek. And they both are perfect and imperfect. They're not futurist words. They're a constant coming of his presence into your life. Hopefully in my 48 and a half years of knowing Jesus, I know him more today than I did last year. Hopefully I've become something more of the testimony of Ted in Christ and Christ in Ted. Hopefully I've become something more of the expression of being some little minute part of this amazing body of Christ. Because I'm receiving a coming of him for salvation in my life. 
for salvation, for transformation, for healing, for deliverance, for salvation. Not just a coming of mercy, but a coming of change. Is there an ultimate second coming? I'm not denying that. Because everything that has a beginning has a full fruit. When you read in the Bible about the first fruits church, we are the first fruits. You are not the wheat. We are not the first fruits. We are many, many, many years beyond first fruits. We're part of a harvest. <laughs> Whatever began in the first fruit continues on in the fruit. Harvest season is not at the end of the year. Harvest begins and it doesn't stop until harvest ends. And when the final trumpet blows, it means the harvest is complete. But you should have been celebrating the whole time of harvest. Because there's been all kinds of things. Peas and beans and cucumbers and watermelons and corn. Who knows what's been in the harvest? There's lots of things in the harvest. It's in the other room, by the way. It's in the other room. There's harvest in there. Just got the word. There's harvest. The harvest is plenty. So, Jesus is the way. He says, I'm the truth. What's the second thing of the kingdom of God? Peace in the Holy Spirit. In this John chapter 14, Jesus says to them, I'm going to give you peace, not as the world does, but peace as God gives peace. Okay, so peace as the world does. The definition of peace in the world is the absence of conflict. So you hear foolish things like, it's so great to now finally exit Afghanistan and have peace. I've got news for you. There ain't too many people in Afghanistan going to have peace. Because you say you're not involved anymore doesn't mean there's not a war anymore. <laughs> it just means you left the battle. Now, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying the world's definition of peace is the absence of conflict in my life. God's definition of peace is all hell could be breaking loose and everything's okay with you because there's no gap between you and God. And what's the evidence? It's evident by you being clothed in Christ. What's inside of you is filling up to overflowing and you are submerged in as it is in heaven. That's truth. So if Jesus is the way and Jesus is the truth, it's not what I say is true that counts. It's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's true in heaven right now is the real news for my life. Yes. Jesus is the truth. And that's not an informational truth. It's a transformational truth. It's being a dwelling place of God. Where God is in us. God is upon us. According to Luke 24, 49. And the kingdom of God is joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is the testimony of purpose. And it's the fruit of a partnership with God as your father. God with you. Tabernacles. You pitch your tent, he pitches his tent. He says, you think, I'll think, and let's do the Father's business. Let's bring joy to the world. 
Let's bring the will of God into the world. God with you. So Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Righteousness, peace, and joy. I'm the, I am the means by you being a dwelling place of a human being who God is in, God is upon, and God is with. This is a coming unto salvation. He comes a second time so that I know God in me. He comes a second time so that I know God upon me. He comes a second time so that I know God with me. He came a first time so that I would know free from the knowledge of good and evil. Mercy! Now, that I've received that, I've died in Christ because it's appointed to all to die once. Now, I live constantly receiving a growing second coming of him for salvation. Not waiting for the second coming to come. Living in and from the throne room. Not judging those who cannot believe and cannot see. But being a witness, a shining beacon, a light of life to invite them also to come and receive a first judgment, a judgment of mercy. To die in Christ so that the life that they now live, they live by faith in Christ. And they constantly live with this second coming reality. A, not a judgment reality of death. A saving reality. Jesus is salvation in every situation. Jesus is salvation in every situation. Jesus is coming into my life today. Jesus is coming into my life today. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the testimony of righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Peace in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm living as a human being. Being a dwelling place of God. Hallelujah. Do you realize? Huh? Do you? Huh? Do you realize how foolish we look to the world that cannot see and does not know when we start screaming, Jesus is coming back anytime, you better get busy because you're going to die. Instead of being Jesus with skin on to them, inviting them to also come. You see, you can't be God with them and change them. You have to be someone who's like Jesus. Yes. You've got God in you, God upon you, and God with you. And then you invite them also to come to the throne of grace. Yes. This is my 66th year. I came to Christ in my late 17th year. And I've seen this ridiculous pattern a lot of times in my life. Where when things get tough, we start having the hope of Jesus coming back. And in the midst of that, we miss a whole lot of days in the year where we didn't see him. Yeah, uh -huh. not too bad. <laughs> and he was coming every day, every day in a second reality salvation every day. and we failed to have eternal life which is to know God as the father and Jesus the son we got distracted forgot we're a dwelling place of God like Jesus said we would be Ooh, that's good stuff come on <laughs> all we have to do is come to him and see him his appearing in our hearts is a testimony of his death upon the cross. What's the testimony that he died on the cross? Not convincing somebody that he died on the cross. Demonstrating his life in you. is proof that he died on the cross. Because the cross gave you mercy. And then after this, there's a continual coming of Christ for salvation in our lives. 
Look at John 14, verse 28. Now, again, pronouns in the scripture are not us. They're the people at the time. However, God's the same today, yesterday, forever. And so he says the same things to us. He says, you have heard me say to you. He's talking to his disciples. My disciples, who at that time were old covenant guys, because the time was not yet for them to be a dwelling place of God. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. I'm coming back to you, John. I'm coming back to you, Matthew. I'm coming back to you, Big James. <laughs> if you love me, I, you would rejoice because I have said I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Now when he said, arise, let us go from here, I don't think he was just talking about physically going to the cross. I think he was talking about, it's time to go from here. It's time to go from being old covenant people. It's time to arise. Let's go from here. Oh, that's good. <laughs> he was talking about entering into the fulfillment of the very purpose for which he came. He did not come. I'm going to say something you're going to think is untrue. He did not come to die for your sins. He came to reconcile you and reconnect you to your father, but he had to die for your sins for that to be possible. So he embraced the cross for what? The joy that was set before him. What was the joy? That there would be many dwelling places of God in the earth. Yeah. That's us. He came so that you and I would be a dwelling place of God in this world and into eternity with eternal life now and eternal life into eternity. So he was talking about entering into the film, fulfillment of the purpose for which he came. He didn't come for judgment. He came for salvation. We were stuck in judgment. He had to get us unstuck from judgment to get us into why he came. He came for salvation. He came for a constant, continual, increasing salvation coming. <laughs> he made a way for God's judgment to be a judgment of mercy for all who come to him to receive it so that he could come to them for salvation in their world. He wanted to move into every neighborhood, not just a region in the Middle East. <laughs> He came so that all would know what it is to be a dwelling place of God in the earth. Now, if you go out of here and you say, well, Ted Hansen doesn't believe in the second coming of Jesus, you're lying. Because I do believe in the second coming. I just believe it's a lot more than what we comprehend it to be. Yes. So if the coming in him in my life is for salvation, you see, when I asked him to come into my life, I went to sleep begging for his mercy. When I woke up the next day, I was smiling because I had the fruit of having been forgiven. And I was not smiling because of mercy. I was smiling because of grace. It was so powerful 
my language changed. It was so powerful, my habits changed. The root of my habits and the root of my language was my desire. And my desire was quickly changing. I'll never forget. I mean, everybody has different testimonies. Some testimonies come quick. Some testimonies come long. They're all supernatural testimonies. Um, I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. You know, smoking cigarettes uh, won't send you to hell. If you're a believer, it might send you to heaven quicker, which is not a good way to go. Okay, so it's not healthy. It's just like eating 10 bags of potato chips this afternoon. Won't be healthy. Don't do it. Little ones or big ones. You can have some, but don't eat, you know, don't do stuff that's unhealthy. Okay. But I was good at quitting smoking cigarettes. Smoked two packs a day. I was good at smoke quitting, but I was one better at starting. Because I quit many times. But I always started one more time than I quit. Uh, i never forget, one week after I had been born again, one week after I had received this judgment of mercy, and then I began to experience the coming of Jesus into my life for salvation. I couldn't have defined it the way I'm articulating it to you today, but that's what was happening. Jesus was coming into my life for salvation now. Not for judgment of sin, but for salvation. So one week later... I'm sitting in my car, and by the voice of Holy Spirit, Jesus says, do you love me? And immediately a tear ran down my cheek. I mean, I didn't even know what he was going to say, but I, do you love me? I'm smoking a cigarette, and he says, do you love me? And my tear come down my cheek, and he said, well, quit these. I threw them away. It wasn't the discipline of throwing away cigarettes. It was the tear coming down my cheek. It was the love of God that freed me from that habit. Now, I'm not telling you if you smoke cigarettes, you don't love God. Nor am I telling you to condemn or shame anybody who does. I'm just telling you, it's your own personal journey in God. And God wants to bring his presence into your life for salvation in many ways. Because you're meant to be a dwelling place of God by his spirit. You see, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. So... We're part of the Father's house. Yes, we are. And whatever is true and is coming in our life now, no doubt has a maturation to culmination. Whatever is true in this world 